Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Toddlers are such curious creatures. They can be captured by a snail on the footpath or making finger paintings. It's also the time of life that many are entering preschool for the first time. So what is the best way to teach toddlers and what are they capable of learning? Dr. Laura Jana is a paediatrician and the author of The Toddler Brain. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Oh, well, thank you. Great to join you. Where are toddlers at in terms of their brain development and their capacity to learn? That's such a thought-provoking question, and and I'm glad you asked it because one of the things I find that I have to sort of make the point, like a very explicit point about, is the distinction between education and learning. And what you're asking, which is great, is when and what do toddlers learn? Children learn from the day they're born, and they learn from everything around them. So it's not a matter of just when they show up in preschool, which is a great opportunity to learn things, but it's all day, every day, and from whoever they spend the most time with, right? So it presents a real opportunity, which I think in some ways, I don't want to say it's been overlooked in the way that we've, you know, sort of in our, in the last you know century or so approached parenting, but I get the sense that we've sort of done this, we'll wait until they enter formal schooling, and that's when they become educated and learn things. And before that, it's feeding and changing and sleeping and, and then keeping them safe, But really, that's a time of great learning and great opportunity. The other thing, I'm not sure if this is the case in the United States, but certainly in Australia, in certain parts, it's almost like parents feel they have to prepare their children for an idea of learning or education. So Mm -hmm. they might be looking at their toddlers thinking, okay, we need to get onto numbers or we need to get onto letters because if you don't get onto that now, when you start formal education in the primary school system, you're going to be behind. Is that happening in the US or is that just something oh, around here? Ab- absolutely. And actually, it happens everywhere. I've done enough work internationally now and given a lot of talks pre-pandemic um, internationally to know that is sort of a universal aspect. I kind of, in, in response to sort of our last hundred years worth of approach to education. So, so this idea that, you know, you want kids to know their numbers and their letters. Here's what I will tell you. And this is what I tell parents all the time. Numbers and letters are really important. They serve as building blocks, but ask anyone, you know, at the entry to school, you know, teachers who are in that for, you know, whether it's preschool, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, whatever you want to call it, right. Children entering formal schooling. And what you find is that the teachers actually tend to say, we need all these other skills. We need kids to come with the ability to focus and pay attention and self-regulate. And we need them to be able to start to play well with others or, you know, take turns. Um, They need to be curious. They need to be able to sort of follow directions. And if they can do that, we can teach them their numbers and their letters, right? Like that's not a problem. That's where I point out to people, we've had this overemphasis on what I, you know, and again, people don't have a great way to refer to these skills. I call that sort of reading, writing, arithmetic type skills, IQ skills, not like formal IQ testing, but just the concept of they're sort of what we think of as the hard skills of learning. 
But then there's all these other skills that people call soft, non-cognitive, other social, emotional skills. And what I did was I called those key skills, QI, like chi, but key skills. And that's where helping kids have those skills make them more well-situated to learn even the hard skills when they get into formal schooling. So there's that balance. But again, that's where the creative play and interaction and playing with other children and learning to take turns and being able to control themselves so that it's not they do what they want when they want all the time. That what's, that's what sets them up to be able to learn whatever it is they're going to learn in formal schooling. So what I hear a lot from experts in this field is that for children of this age and, and older, that play is the most important place for them to gain these skills. I'm wondering, uh, do you agree with this? And if you do, could you break down a little bit what play looks like when children are learning? Absolutely. And, and so first of all, absolutely, I agree with that that thought that play, you know, it's often been said that play is the work of three-year-olds or of young children, mm-hmm. right? And I actually flip that around and I say, work needs to be more like the play of three-year-olds. And if you look actually in the adult world, what we understand about adult learning is that the more playful it is, the more hands-on, engaged with the group, playful kinds of opportunities, right? Focused on a project, team, whatever it is, the better adults learn. So play is actually kind of a universal way. If you think about what play actually is, by the way, it's the ability to actually hands-on engage with something, test to see what happens. And that's not just, um, you know, again, the more academic IQ skills kind of play, but it's the if I do this and I learn to play well with others and what happens if I don't give somebody else a turn and well, wait, how did they feel when this happened? And, you know, let's take imaginative play. You know, when you hear discussions about empathy and, you know, in the adult world, collaboration and teamwork and things that we all really value in today's world, this is where you say, okay, what is empathy? Empathy is the ability to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, right? Understand what it's like to be them, realize what they're thinking. And it may not be how you would approach something or how you would feel about it, but it's how someone else would. Now picture a a three-year-old, let's say, and they're dressing up like a teacher. And then they change the way they sound and they change the way they behave. And then they say things differently than what they would say themselves. That's actually mastering in a really impressive way, perspective taking. They're imagining what it would be like to be someone else. How would they act? What would they say? How would they feel? And if all of us mastered that ability, right, which comes out very naturally in three-year-old play, the world would be a much better place for it because a lot of people don't 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 have that ability. Yeah. So all um, parents need to do is up their um, role playing costume cupboard. <laughs> sure. Well, and you know, to your initial point about what toddlers exploring the world can learn. Here's the other thing. So, you know, play, there's the, you know, the dress up imaginative play. There's structured play. There's unstructured play. So there's lots of different approaches. But if you think about what kids are outside playing, if they're making up a game, they're having to figure out rules, then they're figuring out how to, you know, to follow those rules. They're making and they're being inquisitive. And let's say something about figuring something out. 
that brings in curiosity. It brings in things like, oops, that that one, whatever we just did, didn't work so well. So we're going to try a different approach. That's something I called wobble skills, the ability to fail and adapt and change course based on what does or doesn't work. So that's where you see just with something as simple as play, you have all these things come into play in the way of, of soft skills that are really valuable for kids and for adults. Do you have a preference for the types of play? You mentioned a few there, but for example, nature play has been super big here in the last five years. Um, And then there are people kind of sort of moving more towards an unstructured play environment, whether it's nature play or other kinds of play that is allowing the child to get out there more. Do you have a preference towards that sort of play as opposed to, I'm not sure, I don't know, when I was growing up, we had speak and spell and stuff like that, which is maybe a bit more formal, but I'm wondering what your take is on that. You know what I'm going to tell you? They serve different purposes and both are valuable. So if you say pick A or B, I'm going to say I take both. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing. Unstructured play provides opportunity for children to work as a group, come together, figure out rules, figure out disagreements. There's all sorts of things involved in that. But more structured or some supervised play where it's facilitated, not that they're being told every single step of the way, you know, but if an adult, that has some value and they can learn different things from that. First of all, nature play, what's really interesting is Even some of the work where, and we've talked about things about, you know, emotions and self-regulation and things, but there's a book called The Extended Mind, and it talks about how our, you know, what we do and how our brains develop in part is beyond just what's inside our skulls, right? And part of that is the environment, and we do really well. Our brains do really well, are much calmer, right? Um, in a natural environment. It's really intriguing. I mean, it's it, the research is kind of gets very specific, but what we know is whether you're doing the neuroscience of it or whether you're just doing the, take a bunch of kids out on, you know, in nature on a regular basis, kids do really well, adults really do well, that connection to nature. The other thing that nature tends to offer kids in terms of play is unscripted and not too sort of restricted right? It's, it allows for a lot more creativity, sometimes boredom, which then becomes some new forms of creative play because you figure out something to do with a bunch of rocks and a stick, right? I mean, that's where you start to see that. On the flip side of that, I will tell you, since we last spoke, I, I believe, um, I have now taken on a position as the head of the Medical and Scientific Safety Council for Mattel, the world, giant, you know, global toy company. And what's really interesting about toys is, first of all, we tend to, and some of them are defined sort of very narrow, specific uses. There's one way to use this toy, and that's it, Yeah. right? But there are some toys where we've sort of let ourselves fall into that position when we have children play with them. We just say, you know, this is what you do with it, done. We're, you know, in working and, and talking to the people at the company who design some of these toys, And they come out with tips on 50 things to do with a rock and stack, you know, where you stack the plastic rings up from biggest to smallest. Okay, now I like to think of myself as a creative person (laughs) and encouraging creative play, but I'm not sure I could have come up with 50 uses of, you know, or ways to play. And so, again, there's some intentionality, just like the neuroscience gives us intentionality into how we approach, you know, early brain and child development and parenting play, there's some ways where we can help foster that, whether it's with toys, 
Um, and, and whether it's creative use or they're learning how to follow rules in a very kind of just, you know, confined area of a, a game or nature play or imaginative play, all of the above, right? They're different skills and you want kids to really engage in all of those aspects. As long as they're playing, it's good. Yes. Well, and play is a real world way to try out a lot of skills, right? Learn them, test them out and interactional with others and creativity factored in, which I always like to remind people, you know, somebody did a global survey. IBM did a global survey of 1500 CEOs. And the thing they said they most valued in the way of skills was creativity. Take a bunch of kids, stick them outside with nothing, nothing from the store, nothing formal, and they can come up with all sorts of creative things to do, right? What they can build, what they can make, imaginary stuff. That creativity is as valuable as knowing your ABCs, right, in terms of today's world. You want both, but you don't want to miss the creativity part of that as well. Would you say then that those parents who are worried about their child learning numbers and letters in this early phase of their life, would you say... Just leave that for later. Like right now, what you want to concentrate on for your child is the skills they learn through play, and then they will get the numbers and the letters when they go to formal education later on. It would depend on the circumstances, because what my first reaction would be is play with them, like play with the numbers, play with the letters, right? I just figured out a new sort of craft activity called quilling. I don't know if you're familiar with it, no. but it's like the little spun pieces of paper and then you glue them and you can make pretty designs and it looks really elaborate, but it's just a narrow strip of paper that's spun into a circle. So you get the cool little spiral, yep. right? The reason I'm telling you this is because a friend of mine actually used to be the director of the childcare center that I owned. Her young son Okay, very young son who wouldn't necessarily be the kid you'd say, this kid's going to be interested in sitting down and doing this craft with me, decided he was really excited about it. And I can't, he's about six, let's say. And he came over and I had a play date with him. I thought, this is really cute. My kids are old. I'm not around young kids as much as I'd like. So I'll have him over and I'm going to show him how to do this. And he was so excited and he bought with his allowance, his own little kit to do this. Yeah. You know what we discussed for hours? Mm. Fractions. Oh. Okay. Now. Little known fact, Savan, I actually was going to be a math major, except I didn't know what I would do with it, so I just didn't. But <laughs> thank, thank goodness. I didn't like the, yes, but I well, because I love children and people and engaging. But here's the thing. I loved playing with numbers and with math. I didn't like the theoretical stuff. But when you have a strip of paper and you want to make a small circle, you cut it in half. And then if you ask a six-year-old, well, do you want a small circle or a big circle? Well, which is bigger, a half or, you know, or one? He gets it. Then you can start doing, well, okay, you want to even know, well, this little circle, I just use a third of a strip of paper. So I cut the paper in three. Well, which is bigger, a third, a half, or one? And all of a sudden, I'm laughing because I'm like, okay. And I even said to him at the end of this, he's like, well, this is great. I can show my teacher that I know fractions. <laughs> and I'm like, she's going to say, what kind of play date was that? <laughs> Except that he was ha he was having fun with it. Yes. It made sense. It was real world related to something that he cared about, and it was a fun activity. But that's how I think about lots of things. If only we could engage kids that way. Same thing with the alphabet, and, and I'll read lots of books. I've always been, as you know, I mean, I'm a big early literacy advocate, but I'm not the forced, you must read this many minutes a day and you must read these certain books. I keep saying it's not a focus on helping young children learn to read earlier. 
it's helping them learn to have an early love of reading that really matters. And then, and with that, they are going to want to know what letters are and what words are and what the sentences on the page mean, because if they love books, that's the key to unlocking what they care about. Same thing with the numbers. He cares about making this little art project with me. And all of a sudden, he is really into fractions. Whereas I was like, hey, Liam, what do you think the odds are that you would have come over here if I'd said, hey, Liam, you want to go over fractions with me this <laughs> afternoon? So that's, that's my little anecdote for you. It's play with it. Make it fun. Make it apply to the real world. It can be cutting a piece of pie. That's a piece of pie. It's a, you know, it's a half of a pie or a quarter of a pie. If you've got friends and you need to cut it into four pieces, well, now you can describe it. Doesn't have to be quilling, but that's making it real world when you play with numbers. You mentioned earlier that um, one of the things that primary school teachers will be looking for when kids start is their social and emotional skills. Mm-hmm. So in that in that context, is it? worth putting your child into a preschool setting where they are having to deal with lots of different little kids? I mean, we are are talking toddlers, so they're very small. They're going to be doing parallel play. They're not necessarily going to be engaging in lifelong friendships here. But is there a value in putting them into that kind of setting where they are going to have to learn about getting on with others? You know, it's this is it's a question I get asked a lot because as a pediatrician who owned a child care center and has done lots of parenting work, um, I can I can see a bunch of different perspectives on that one. What I like to do is back up and say everyone's circumstances are different. So I don't I don't want to tell the parent who's a stay at home parent doing all sorts of engaging activities with their children that that's not sufficient, right? Yep, yep. Um, at the same time, not. All child care offers the kind of environment that really does foster that. So you want to find places that are nurturing and provide those activities and understand the child development, right? Because if they have unrealistic expectations, they're treating they're treating um, early education and child care like it's primary school, right? You must sit in your desk, don't touch things, sit still for a long time. We're going to do some flashcards now or worksheets. Then that's not appropriate either. What I do think in either case is valuable is one opportunity to play with other children. And I'm really glad you mentioned, by the way, just so it doesn't get past me without, I mean, get, you know, we get past this without saying it is there is parallel play, as you mentioned, and the expectation that very young children, you know, one, two year olds are going to be nice and share and take turns. Not only is the sort of emotional regulation impulse control not developed yet, But the ability to take perspectives of others, you know, really stop and think through how somebody else or what somebody else might want and how to interact, that really kicks in around age three. So there is value younger to being around other kids and learning and things, but expectations in terms of really being nice, taking turns, sharing, all those things – Kids get to practice that along the way, but I, I make sure we set expectations appropriately because really it's in three-year-old you know, classrooms where you see that. And I always reinforce for people, it's not when they have it, it's when they really start to practice it, which means you're going to get the fights over things or a couple girls exclude one of the other girls because they, you know, that's where they're testing out those things and figuring them out. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, great to join you. That's Dr. Laura Jana. She's the author of The Toddler Brain, and I'll put a link to her website in the episode notes. 
I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.